The Cups and Cakes Network presents Inside the Artist Studio. The interview you are about to hear was originally recorded on January 24th, 2020. To find out more about Cups and Cakes, visit them at cupsandcakespod.com. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. What you're about to hear may contain filthy language and adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Today, we're happy to share the very last interview from the Winter Option Festival here in Edmonton at the end of January. Graham Wright, known for his work as the keyboard player in Tokyo Police Club, was bringing his new project Girlfriend Material through town on their first tour to celebrate the release of their album Cool Car in 2019. Girlfriend Material features members of Tokyo Police Club and Colorado, and me and Graham talked about what it was like coming up alongside so many great bands in Toronto and how unquestionably weird it is to earn a living making music that people are excited to hear. We also touch on a shared love of Jeff Tweedy and what it's like to get hired to play gigs for Big Vodka. Here's Graham. My name's Graham Wright. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm here in my capacity as the singer for Girlfriend Material, uh, which is a new band, but obviously the reason people care is because I also play in Tokyo Police Club. <laughs> uh, we'll try and talk about both things for sure. I, hey, I, I have no illusions about why I'm here. <laughs> uh, and you're here playing for Winter Option, right? Yeah. Cool. Uh, and then I guess coming from Saskatoon, which is the same it festival. Also Winter Option, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, how long ago did that get put together? Like, I've never heard of it before this year. Yeah, uh, that does not mean that it. It doesn't feel brand new, like it's its first year, because everyone really has their shit together. Right. But it also feels new enough that everyone feels like excited, and it's still good, and it hasn't been like ruined either by running out of money or getting too much money from sponsors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I would, if I had to guess based on my years of experience, I would put it at three to four years of age <laughs> not old enough that people can say it used to be better yeah exactly <laughs> we were talking when we were loading in we were talking with the weaves guys about south by southwest oh yeah and how it's bad now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean uh god bless sled island too and like i went for the first time last year i've never done like, sled island and it's one of the ones that's on my list and i don't understand how i've missed it oh it was so cool but too it's like you talk with people there and you get a lot of like it used to be better it was great it was that's like so stunning. sled island though all of those people are the people where you're like you t- it's like taking it's being spoiled by coolness you know that thing where it's because they're all writers uh not that i love writers but like like you guys don't understand what this is like for the punters <laughs> Well, to, to some extent, too. I mean, I think uh, it's a byproduct of just, like, hip people. Of course. Uh, you get a lot of uh, uh, looking for the good old days kind of thing. And, I mean, that's the, the wonderful and weird thing about cool stuff is even if it, like, quantifiably doesn't change literally at all, you change. People change. And what really happens, like, I, I think, like, 80% of it used to be cool nostalgia is means I used to be young. <laughs> You know, I'm old enough now, because I've been doing this since I was 19, yeah, yeah, almost 33. I'm old enough now that I catch myself all the time being like, oh, this used to be better. That used to be better. Right. No, it didn't. I was just, <laughs> I was young and now I'm not. And so I have weird nostalgia about it. And like, that's fine and fun and enjoyable, but you don't want to put that on festivals and people. Yeah. That being said, Seth by is bad now. <laughs> uh, is there a lot of stuff that you find that you've kind of changed opinions on in that way? Oh, like as far as my relationship to what I do for a living, yeah, all of it. <laughs> we had a weird start, right? Tokyo was young, and we did really well, really fast. And right. I, we were spoiled, like we were brats, 
Uh, I don't think because we're bratty people, you know, we're not rich kids or anything, but we're also not poor kids. So I mean, <laughs> we have all the we have all the privilege. All the privilege is in our corner. Whatever the yeah, word yeah. is for that, it's all there. Um, other than like we didn't have helicopters. That's about the one thing we didn't have when we were kids. Yeah. Um, but you know, and certainly our career was about as privileged as you can get without being Vampire Weekend. And without, I hope, being like total assholes. We just immediately assumed things were a certain way because our first tours were really good. You know, right. stuff would sell out. And when you're 19, you're like, this must be what it's like. I've never been on another tour. So as far as I know, you play Letterman on your first album. Like, <laughs> that seems normal. Yeah. And that obviously skews your perception of what you're doing. And so uh, we, or certainly I just didn't appreciate any of it you know, a, a, a hundredth as much as, as I wish I had. And, you know, that regret combined with just, you know, whatever modicum of wisdom comes with age has led me to, I don't think I think things are 180 degrees different, but I appreciate them a million times more. And I, you know, stuff like driving, sitting in a car for six hours, like this girlfriend tour is, is so fun to be on because it's like, it's a new band first tour right. and we're not getting treated that good. You know, being the keyboard player in Tokyo police club only affords you a certain amount of luxury. You still only right. get 11 people out in Saskatoon. Right. Right. So, uh, but I think that I loved playing to 11 people in Saskatoon more than now than I loved playing to like a sold out crowd in Saskatoon when I was 20. Right. And that's, that's, there you go. That's me. That's my perception. <laughs> uh, how do you feel like the other guys in the band feel about it? Cause I know it's the Tokyo uh, guys. Well, uh, the girlfriend material yeah. guys, because it's well, it's, I mean, it's Josh from Tokyo, right. Jake from Colorado, so same deal, right? I think we're all on the same page, um, <laughs> more or less. We all seem to be really like. There's a lot of giddiness for four mid thirties men in like we're we're doing this thing in a Ford Escape. Like, there's literally <laughs> bags on laps. There's no room, right? And everyone seems to be in a really good mood about it. Oh, that's fine. So I think that means that we have a healthy relationship with this. Yeah, you guys all kind of came up in the same like scene around the same oh, time too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, was that like uh, meeting Colorado folks through tours, or was it? just Yeah, we just played gigs with them. Okay. Um, I the first time I saw Colorado was before we didn't play with them that time. It was during either Canadian Music Week or North by Northeast, one of those. Right. Uh, they used to be cooler, by the way. <laughs> Parody. Uh, and I had heard about Colorado because we were our agent worked with them, and they were you know they were another fresh band so they were sort of just on the radar and i went to see them at some like you know you go to those like hotel day party it's like you go get your passes at a hotel and then a band's playing acoustically right and they were playing acoustically there and i was like this band doesn't sound like they should be acoustic <laughs> and i think that night i went to the horseshoe and they played like a real set oh, okay and it turns out now that i'm friends with them that that set was like a legendarily sloppy disaster for them <laughs> but i didn't know that at the time and i was right. like this is like the least professional bunch of drunks i've ever seen on stage uh, this band sucks. And I remember then our agent was like, Colorado should do some shows to you guys. And I was like, uh, I saw them and they're like incredibly bad. And as basically happens every single time, then the first show they did with us was in Kingston, Ontario. And I went, I wandered out to like, you know, watch the train wreck. And of course, instead I was completely blown away. And I was like, yeah, this yeah. is one of the best live bands I've ever seen. And so that's an important lesson that when you see a band at like 2.30 in the morning during a music festival where like the only payment is free booze, yeah. don't judge them by that show. Because <laughs> later they'll become your best friends. I think the first time I saw Colorado was also acoustic. They did like a show at West Ed. It, okay. Uh, yeah, at the West Ed Mall on like I this mean, little stage. This it was very strange. But. A thing that happens in the music industry constantly is like 
radio stations, malls, festivals, all these things. Like, we want to have bands at stuff, but it's not always practical to have a full band with speakers and drums and a PA and electricity. So, like, oh, you can just do a stripped-down set, right? Which, like, yeah, pretty much, if you write songs, you can grab an acoustic guitar and, like, bang out your songs in some sort of way. But then everyone gets this weird, like, fixation on having the whole band there. Right. And... Having a rock band have all four guys play acoustically is stupid. It's a bad way to see music. It's like, that's not what you do. It's not the songs stripped down to their barest essentials, which is what you want it to be. It's the songs thrown in like a blender, pulverized, and then dumped out on like the ugliest ground possible. <laughs> and so we, the Tokyo, we had that a lot. And we tried to do American radio campaigns and stuff. So we really had to like kiss rings and scratch right. backs. And we did a lot of that stuff. And at a certain point, I think when we put out our last record, we were like, we got to just start telling people we know better. Like, I know you think you want us all to do this, yeah. but when we're all there and like three of us have egg shakers, it's not going to be cool. <laughs> so trust us. This is our job. Yeah. We'll tell you how the show will be good. And it's Dave with an acoustic guitar or the full band. Deal with it. Yeah. And you know what? It always works. <laughs> I guess, yeah, there's a big difference between kind of what they envision those things sounding like and what they actually and sound And that's the like. thing that happens all the time. And usually it happens when you're getting either directly getting paid a lot of money or doing something with the interest in getting paid a lot of money later. Right. Is that you end up in a situation where it's like, actually, if we didn't perform at all, but everyone agreed to pretend that we had performed, that would be better. Like we've done, and you know, it's this is this is crass shit to talk about, I guess, but it's also the reality of making a living as a musician in the 21st century. Um, Tokyo has done tons of weird gigs where it's like absolute vodka is gonna fly you to this conference where they like fly a bunch of bartenders in to tell them about how they should stock absolute vodka for their bar. And we're gonna be the band that plays. And we get paid a, way more money. Like we'll make more money on one of those gigs than we will on a tour. Right. But at no point during the show is anyone happy a rock man is playing because they're all there getting like plied with free vodka and a DJ is playing like cool top 40 hip hop that yeah. everyone likes. And they're like, let's interrupt that for a band you can't talk over and you're supposed to look at. Like that sucks for the crowd. Right. It sucks for us because they don't want to see us. It's like, well, why don't we just like, but you want to say that a cool band played your show. Right. So give us the check and we promise we'll tell everyone we played. <laughs> we'll hang out for the whole night and shake hands with everyone. And then you can say you met the band guys. Like, no one wants to hear songs right now. That's bad. <laughs> Everyone's completely obliterated drunk because you're trying to, like, grease their palms to sell yeah. vodka, which is fine. <laughs> Have you managed to find ways to, like, enjoy those experiences? Just because I would imagine. Cynicism. Well, yeah, like, there's so many of those stories that have just got to be, like, so fucking strange. You have to embrace the absurdity of it. Right. Right? Like, you got to watch Spinal Tap and, <laughs> and understand that it's not as funny to band guys as it's supposed to be because you all identify with it. But that you realize that, like, this is... Because the trap you fall into that makes it not fun is you start to think of yourself as deserving of a certain level of treatment. Right. And that ruins everything. It ruins those weird corporate shows. It would ruin a fun indie rock festival show. You know, you start to feel like, oh, the green room's too small. Oh, there's not a private bathroom. Right. Oh, the rider, the beer, like the beer's warm when I got to the venue, you know? Right. It makes me sound like a brat, but ask anyone who's been in a band that's toured at all, and they'll, if they're honest, they'll cop to being like, yeah, you get, you just get used to it. You get spoiled. It happens to everyone in every line of work. And the only defense against it is to remember to laugh at yourself and the position that you're in. Yeah. And that sounds like some, you know, chintzy hang in there cat poster (laughs) wisdom. But for me, at least, it's the it's the only thing that's really worked is remembering that, like, at the end of the day, this is a joke that I get to do this for a living. Right. And it's uh, anytime, you know, you complain about something, it is, it's the Spinal Tap thing where you're like, 
when you catch yourself identifying with that movie sincerely, like, oh, the bread is too small sometimes. <laughs> that's an important realization as long as you're like, oh, I'm a joke. Right. Uh, and it's always healthy to realize that you're a bit of a joke. <laughs> was there was there a point then where, because you guys, yeah, started like super young with Tokyo Police Club. Um, was there like a point where you think you realized like, oh, this is kind of like gone to my head a little bit or this is kind of making me into a strange person? Um, yeah, I mean... Fortunately, we never got successful enough to really have it explode <laughs> us, as right. far as I can tell. You know, maybe other people would say differently, but I, I think that our inability to cross the line into like, because there was a minute, like I mentioned, doing a radio thing in America. And when you do a radio thing in America, either it doesn't work or you're the Black Keys. Like, that was the thing about it. And it was a lot of work, as much as this is work, and a lot of like, playing shows for free and like traveling really hard and like waking up really early in the morning to go to these gigs where no one's interested. And it's, and it's totally thankless, except that if the song becomes a hit single in America, you get a million dollars. Right. Like that's not, there's not like a guy who gives you a million dollars, but that's the upshot of it is like, that's how valuable that shit still is. Even for guitar bands in an era when guitar bands aren't like popular anymore. Right. But it didn't work. And so at every point, there was always that reminder, even if the reminder was you feeling sorry for yourself and wallowing in self-pity, at least you couldn't tell yourself that you were definitely a superstar. And I think that saved us from, you know, going off the edge. And maybe I like to think that we're also nice, normal-ish guys who like would have kept a level head anyway, but I don't know. It's definitely like (laughs) more humble people than me have been ruined by success, you know? Yeah. Um, so for me, it was like not succeeding didn't quite save me. Then I felt sorry about for myself and decided that I had done music for long enough and I should quit. Once I decided that, that saved me. Cause then I was like, wait, actually I love this job. And the th- reason I want to quit is because of like the business and the emails. Right. So fuck the business and the emails. Let's play the guitar. Oh, I love this job. Right. I want to do the business and the emails now, but I want to, I've chosen to, <laughs> uh, which is a weird, you know, aspect of it. That makes sense. But though. it was like for like the, a really important thing for Tokyo Police Club is we started managing ourselves, which is okay. like not cool or romantic, but that more than anything for me at least gave me this sense of ownership and like I chose to buy in because again you're so young it's like going to college when you're 19 you're just like I guess I have to everyone goes to college like you don't really you're not allowed to think about it per se and you know we got a sweet deal but also. I didn't decide to start doing music. I was like, I'm playing music. Oh, I'm going on tour. Like, I'm not going to not do it. So I, <laughs> I had to choose to buy in again. Right. Uh, was the kind of uh, like point where you were uh, deciding to quit, was that kind of the transition into video stuff? That yeah, exactly. Exactly. It all happened around there. And that's where Girlfriend came out of. Right. Like, Girlfriend started when, like, literally in the same weeks as I was like, I don't want to do music anymore oh, crap, I'm writing songs. The last thing I was expecting. (laughs) Yeah. And so Girlfriend was a big part of it too, just like doing something that I didn't think would matter and that I wasn't like taking seriously really also helped. For sure. Because then you're writing songs, you're like, oh, right, right. It's exciting. It feels good to write a song. I should do that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess because I do feel like uh, to a certain extent, like professional uh, pressure probably kills some kind of creative drive to some extent. It can, and it, 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 if not necessitates, then certainly encourages a, a reevaluation of your relationship with your creativity. And that's tough because creativity can be very delicate and business is very violent. 
<laughs> you know, relatively speaking. Yeah. And finding a way to to find that delicacy amidst the sort of like the rugby match of the business is tricky. But when you do it, it's like that's the magic. That's where you can like then you can do longevity. Right. And you won't, and then you won't burn out. So, uh Girlfriend material stuff started in 2017. That was the that first. That sounds e- right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I if that was when the first EP came out, though, that those songs were like a year old by the time that even came out. So I think that right. they like the the idea that like me in my apartment starting to write, you know, going gray and peace sign and stuff right. would have been 16. Okay. Uh, who's the bass player again? Joe. <laughs> so Joe's the one guy in the band who's not in another yeah. band. He was. So when Joe was. Um, younger it turns out joe's from the same town as us and stuff oh, okay i never knew him at the time but we have, we have a lot of past in common and he was a punk rock guy okay so he played bass in a bunch of punk rock bands noise bands that kind of thing but had got out of it he was in radio for a long time he got out of radio right before tokyo started being like around the edge in toronto which is where he worked gotcha and so now he's a public servant okay um and and we met through a mutual friend gotcha and now he's back on the road <laughs> Uh, do you think he feels differently about kind of uh, like, yeah, things like touring and kind of getting back into the business compared with, I mean, you guys who have. Yeah, I think so. I think there is an element like it's definitely more. Well, I, I'll speak for him. Maybe I'm wrong, but like, you know, I think it's he's aware of the vacation fun element of it a little more than us because he's literally like taking time off from his work. Which has got to be like, I'm taking time off from my work, which is sitting at home doing emails about Tokyo Police Club, which I can do <laughs> from the car. So, right. you know, it's it's all like, as much as I think that I appreciate it as a vacation now, it is also just a part of my life. Whereas I think he thought that he was done with like piling in a van with a bunch of dudes and, you know, yeah, yeah. playing fuzz bass. But <laughs> I think it's fair to say that he is delighted that it wasn't over. <laughs> um, and, you know, I think the most important thing for me when I was putting together Girlfriend Material was like, I just want people who are going to be as enthusiastic about this as I am. For sure. And I don't know that anyone in the band, including me, is more enthusiastic than Joe. <laughs> Although it's funny because the other three of us have been on tour constantly for the last decade, and yeah. Joe hasn't. And so just little stuff like how many shirts you pack and stuff, we just love to razz him about being like, you brought 10 <laughs> shirts on a week-long tour. You bring one shirt on a week-long tour, dude. Like, what's your problem? <laughs> uh, let's chat about the the new record then really quick. Yeah, man. Uh, it's called Cool Car. Yes. Uh I was laughing. I was talking with the guy who manages all the cups and cakes stuff. Uh, it's notoriously hard to find spaces to do interviews in for these uh-huh. types of things because of noise. And there was a suggestion that he drive his car here because he has kind of a large-ish car oh, yeah. and you just sit out in the car. Classic. Just let let, let it run. <laughs> Podcast results in two deaths from asphyxiation. <laughs> uh, do you guys, like you're doing most of the writing, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, what is the kind of process for like bringing tunes in to guys to start working on them? So I do it right now, at least, and this, this could always change, obviously, sure. but like I'm sort of in my corner of my apartment where my computer is and I have like a little logic rig, you know, with a couple preamps and whatever. Yeah. And I've got like Superior Drummer, which is a like drum sample program, which you can okay. use like your, you know, MIDI keyboard or MIDI programming, but it, it sounds like they sampled real drums. So it sounds like rock and roll drums. And so I'm there like making facsimiles of like finished recorded rock songs and you know guitar riffs dynamics arrangement drums parts like group vocals the whole nine yards uh and when those come out they sound to the untrained ear like finished songs yeah 
uh, obviously the fidelity is lower and everything, but, and then I send them to the band and we, you know, eventually pick and choose which ones we're going to learn. And then, then it's incumbent on me to try very hard to forget about the demo. <laughs> and that's really hard. Yeah. And I, you know, being in girlfriend has given me a lot of retroactive sympathy for what Dave went through in Tokyo and a lot of regret about times when I think, I think I was a real brat about like, you know, fighting him on preconceptions he had and we call it demoitis in the biz where you like I, oh yeah you get so used to the demo that someone suggests something that's not part of the demo and you like can't be objective about it yeah and i use i used to really push back hard on dave about that stuff and now i'm like oh i get it now yeah you're like why are you playing a different thing i already figured out what the thing is but that's what makes a band a band you know like right and there's it's always collaborative and whether that's i come in with like an acoustic guitar and a melody and we go from there or if I come in with a completely finished song but they play it it's gonna get filtered through the guys right and you know obviously I treated myself to a really cool band full of really good players and so it's always better when I let them put their stamp on it uh, it's sort of a silent internal battle for me to not like go back and edit it later right uh, who'd you guys record it with? Niles Mischick oh, okay who's a Toronto guy um, who rules He's like a great cheerleader. He's really like into doing like, what's the word I'm looking for? He's not obsessed with it being like objectively correct, which is valuable because that doesn't exist um, when it comes to recording music. And he loves like finding uh, like a philosophy, like big picture shit, which I'm really into too, is like the aesthetic of this record is that it's like, down and dirty it's not punk rock because we're not punk rockers right except joe but like it's almost it's like indie rock guys trying to do a punk rock thing right and i get really big picture where i'm like a big part of this is like when we're in the studio we're gonna like drink beer all day and like we're not gonna do more than three takes like stuff like that like big rule stuff that can it can trap you but in the right hands such as niles it can give you boundaries which when you have no boundaries you can make records forever they're never finished right and so Niles is really great at taking my desire to do the record in a certain way. And then when I start second guessing myself, which I always do, he's like, no man, steady hand on the rudder. We're, <laughs> we're, you, did, you said you wanted it this way and I'm making it cool this way. And I bought in. So shut the fuck up. We're doing it. <laughs> and it, it's so helpful and so useful. Um, and I'm so happy with how the record turned out. And he really saved it a lot of times when I would have been like, because the thing is, you always you always go in. And that like Tokyo does this too, you know? You go in and you're like, no editing, you know? No getting onto the grid in Pro Tools and making all the <laughs> drums perfect. But then you sit there in a the studio and you hear the song just doing overdubs like 10 times, 20 times, 30 times. And that mistake that was charming at one point, you start to be like, fuck, no, no, there's a mistake, there's a mistake. And you're like, someone, it's like Animal when he's in the Muppets when he's trying to play the drums slow and he's like starting to freak out and you're like, yeah. oh, he's going to blow, man. It's like that, <laughs> but it's me lunging at the keyboard to try and beat Detective all the drums and auto-tune all the vocals. And you need people that will stop you from ruining your own record to make it like quote unquote perfect. Um, and Niles, among all the other things he's good at, is really good at that. He'll also like, he never says no to like a cockamamie scheme. Like we do a Christmas EP every year. Oh, okay. And this was the first year I didn't do it on my computer. So I did it, we did it in the studio. And I was like, Niles, I don't have any money and we need to do this. And I recorded a bunch of overdubs at home uh, and we need to mix it like tomorrow. And he was like, come over to my apartment, let's do it. And he like plugged <laughs> it into his TV speakers and we mixed it in his apartment and it sounds yeah. great. And we did it, he, <laughs> like, he was, I was like, we have six hours. And he was like, great, it'll be done. 
and that's that, that couldn't be more valuable it's so fun yeah uh i guess that all speaks to and i mean i feel like the whole band too just the importance of like picking good people to work with it's kind of the whole game and it's one of the first things i learned even in tokyo or i don't know it was one of the first things i was taught in tokyo whether i learned it or not is another story but tokyo's uh when we when we still had a manager he was like got in really ground floor we were the first man he managed he was our first manager um and he was amazing and he like we wouldn't have had a career without him and he was all about the team he was like we're gonna find the best lawyer you know like all that stuff that you wouldn't think matters we're gonna find the best one and that got really baked into my brain now then the key is that there is no objective best you have to figure out what you're (laughs) trying to do and build the team that's going to enable you to do that the best and and so far with girlfriend it's a small team but it, it feels like excuse me uh, I because I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants when I recruited a lot of the guys all of the guys really and man I really feel like I luckily got it right and I don't <laughs> take credit for that but it did it worked out yeah well that's uh, as good a time as any to kind of swap over into the second half of things yeah. uh, I don't know if you've listened I didn't know to, there was two uh, halves ah there we go no, so no to answer your question I um, did no. not do any research <laughs> that's okay well because podcasts I'm like great I'll just drink a beer and talk into a microphone <laughs> if they have a certain thing I'm sure they'll make me do it that's pretty much most podcasts exactly so, uh, second half is basically kind of rapid fire stuff so it's oh, all go. just lightning round uh, unrelated to kind of professional concerns okay uh, so here we go it's uh, tea or coffee coffee okay caffeine i assume yeah yeah okay also i like i mean i love tea don't get me wrong yeah but yeah. it's mostly because i'm like well, it's three in the afternoon and i'd like to sleep tonight so i have to drink <laughs> and but i want to drink seven cups of something hot while i work <laughs> uh cake or pie pie okay yeah i like say i mean pie's not like savory savory but it's savorier than cake's all sweet right pie like i like a stra- strawberry rhubarb pie i like some tartness oh yeah strawberry rhubarb fucks pretty hard it's the shit man <laughs> absolutely uh last thing you ate oh uh chicken wings downstairs here oh, okay how yeah. were they they're good okay they're breaded i don't usually like a breaded wing but they do good work oh okay <laughs> uh favorite pit stop on tour Ooh. That's a great question, man. I like weird rest stops. Like, uh, you know, the Red Bull had like the bull outside. That oh, was yeah. pretty fun. The, America is the country, the king country of like. For sure. Yeah. What? Where are we? There's a place called South of the Border. Uh, it's a rest stop. And it's not like it's it's south of like the border between like Arkansas and somewhere or something. And it's really old. So I recently found out my dad was talking about a road trip he took when he was a kid in like the (laughs) 60s. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we stopped this place called South of the Border. I was like, oh, that explains a lot. (laughs) Because the whole thing, it's south of a state border. Right. Which means it's very much in America. Yeah. The whole theme of it is Mexican. So it's very racist. Oh, man. And there's like a giant, the the defining feature of it is a giant, and when I say giant, I mean like 40 feet tall. Yeah, yeah. um, Caricature of a Mexican man with like a sombrero <laughs> and like a muscle. And it's like, just like, like a Russian nesting doll. But if like a racist person from 1957 yeah. was like, but decorate it like it's someone from Mexico. <laughs> so it's, it's brutally offensive and completely yeah. like, you know, from the fifties. Yeah. yeah. And also when we went there on tour, a ghost town, because oh, it was like, okay. it's heyday was in the sixties. Right. And by the time it was like 2008, you're just like, a tumbleweed blows past you. And there's like a gas station. And I love that kind of eerie, <laughs> freaky, like, remnants of because we do so much highway stuff yeah obviously and in the 21st century the highway is like a just a sort of ruinous emissions causing fact of life but there was a time when it was like this amazing incomprehensible 
uh, like magical gateway to freedom. Right. And so all that, like Howard Johnson on the side of the road and like Don Draper episodes where he would be in the car and stuff was like, you know, like, oh my God, cars and roads and going places, all of a sudden the country is stitched together. Right. And I love the, like the, the vestigial remnants of that dream, which is what America basically is, is a vestigial (laughs) remnant of its own dream. Uh, so I, I like the roadside stuff that drives that home. Yeah. All, all the, uh, I know Canada's a lot of them too, but the big things. Yeah. Oh yeah. The big, exactly. It's like Miss Havisham and Great Expectations. Just like the, the, the moldering wedding dress yeah, and yeah. feast and everything. Like that's, that's what I feel about these rest stops and stuff. And I, I find that <laughs> extremely compelling. Uh, radio or podcasts? Podcasts lately. Okay. What, uh, what podcast you listen to? Um, I got a pretty small little group now. Uh, Chapo Trap House. I'm a Chapo boy. Uh, there's one called The Watch. It's like a TV and film podcast. Okay. Uh, there's a bunch actually. They're all like Bill Simmons adjacent podcasts that aren't don't involve Bill Simmons, but like the Rewatchables, <laughs> The Watch, The Big Picture. Just like I like pop culture stuff a lot now because politics makes me like everyone else. I'm like I did too Crazy. much looking at Twitter and yeah. made my life bad. <laughs> so I'm trying to like limit it now to one podcast about politics a week. Yeah. Do you guys listen to podcasts and stuff in the car or mostly music? We, or? So, so we're figuring out what the Girl From Material car vibe is. Um, it's been all music so far. Okay. This is only the third day. <laughs> podcasts are tough in the car. Like Tokyo has a silent van. Oh, Everyone's okay. headphones. That's interesting. Which I really like because a podcast, music everyone can like tune out, listen to, not listen to. Yeah. A podcast presupposes that everyone wants to hear what the podcast right. is. Everybody kind of has to like and shut the fuck up. That's really rare that six people want to hear the same conversation. <laughs> Uh, first car. TBD. Okay. Never owned a car. I guess. I yeah. guess technically it was a quarter share in a Mercury Villager minivan the Tokyo Police Club owned. Right. I guess yeah. If particularly Ontario, that's just less necessary. Yeah, I live in Toronto. I like to walk. I like to drive. Although something happened like two or three years ago where I realized I woke up one morning and I was the only person I knew that didn't own a car. <laughs> I was like, when? Why did everyone buy a car yesterday? Was there a sale that I missed? <laughs> Well, yeah, it's weird in Saskatchewan, too, because you get driver's ed through high school. So just like every single person has their license. I mean, I got my license and everything. I I, I drive and I'll borrow cars and rent cars and stuff. Just like the idea of buying a car and paying insurance and parking and stuff in downtown. I'm like, it takes longer to drive most places than to walk to them if you're staying in the city. Man, yeah, I remember the first day, like first day I lived in Toronto, we got there in like a U-Haul and we unloaded some shit and we were like, we've got to go to Ikea. Let's do this. And we left. And we fucking circled around downtown for like two hours. Brrr. And we're like, going home. We can't do this. Yeah. Just driving is not like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Downtown. You got to learn your Toronto driving vibe. And yes. Stuff like <laughs> spontaneously going to Ikea is not necessarily part of it. No. Uh, weirdest job you've ever had. I mean, this probably like I worked at Tim Hortons chapters and then I was in a band. <laughs> It's funny, I keep waiting for somebody to say that. I think you're the first person that has. Yeah, I'm uh, a spoiled brat. (laughs) Uh, If you could open for any band, uh, who would it be? I mean, the Tokyo Police Club opens for The Strokes Dream probably is dead, but it's been the dream since day one. Yeah. There was a couple times when it felt like maybe, uh, (laughs) and then they just never toured. Like, The Strokes have never toured since Tokyo Police Club was a band. I was going to say, they... like don't play a ton at this yeah. point and now and now it's too late so girlfriend it's tough because i'm like i want to say like the hold steady but then i'm like no because then people will realize that we're just like biting every thing i do <laughs> from the hold steady like i'm just doing low rank craig finn so we can't be that close to them you know i, like, I was listening to, we were listening to th fan club oh yeah in the car today and they still yeah, tour yeah. oh okay. something like that, that like like guys who have been around for a minute yeah yeah i would love to tour the band like that just to be like oh what is it like because now 
now I'm starting to think about like, oh, I'm 33. I don't want to stop doing this, but what is the reality of being a professional touring musician in your late 30s, in your 40s, in your 50s? Right. And so to, to spend like a month on the road with guys that are doing that, but not doing it like you too. Like Teenage right. Fan Club is like a, you know, they're playing big clubs. Right. They're playing rooms like stuff, exactly. I would imagine. And so I feel like, but they're doing it. Yeah. And they seem happy and their records are really good. So I feel like I would I would want to steal their uh, their wisdom. <laughs> uh, if you could put together like a bill of any band ever and give yourself a comp ticket to it. Oh damn. Um like guided by voices, hold steady, uh I mean the real answer is probably like you know the old Coachella they do now with like just all classic rock guys. Oh, yeah. I just want to see all those dudes. <laughs> but no, double bill guided by voices hold steady with like I don't know like car seat headrest doing so. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. It's all the bands that grow from material sounds like. <laughs> Shit. Damn. Uh, favorite season of the year? Fall. So that's I, I'm starting to realize that's what everybody says. Yeah, it's like that's the writer season. It's objectively the only one that doesn't have like shitty parts. Yes. Yeah. I like all the seasons. I really Fair. have tried to like learn what I like about the seasons and then yeah. embrace them. But fall is my time of year. I love to walk. Oh yeah. And like oh, a yeah. time of year when I can do like a 90 minute walk without getting sweaty or cold. It's only fall. Yeah. Uh, candy or chips? Chips. Okay. Candy makes me uh, sick to my stomach now. Yeah, I don't know when it happened, but now I'm like, if I have like a jujube, I'm like, I don't feel great. <laughs> yeah, I started, I used to like just eat like so much candy. Started realizing I get like canker sores instantly. Yeah, it's fuck, I'm old. Almost um, as if it's like completely fake and extremely bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> almost. I mean, yeah. just, I, anyone out there likes candy, please continue as long as you can. But do you guys get old Dutch chips in Toronto nowadays? I know that you I, they're, couldn't they're get around, those forever. But like, I mean, when I was talking about this the other day, like, I remember being a kid. Um, I think you're a little younger than me. <laughs> I don't know bit. if you remember this, but like there was a mo like I remember when Lay's chips came out. Okay. And yeah. now it feels like remember before they invented the wheel and we all just like <laughs> had to carry everything and then the wheel came along. We're like, now life is good. That was before Lay's chips. It's just like you're like, I guess there was hostess chips made hostess deluxe. Okay. And those were like the on Halloween, if you got those in your bag, you were like, damn, a bag of hostess <laughs> deluxe. And Lay's regular make Hostess Deluxe look like you're eating ash out of an ashtray. They just like, now chips are good. And still like a bag of Lay's regulars is the best kind of chip. Yeah, I remember the Humpty Dumpty ones being particularly... Sure, uh... they're fine. But like, just pff, Lay's. <laughs> and like, Miss, I, you know, Miss Vicky's and oh, yeah, shit. Yeah. There's good chips now, but like, yeah, yeah. that's Lay's. <laughs> uh, video games or board games or sports? Oh my god! Uh, three things that I don't generally enjoy participating. <laughs> I guess board games. Oh yeah. My thing with board games is I have a lot of friends who are like board game boys. Yeah. yeah. Tokyo. Everyone in Tokyo except me is like, want to play board game? We have like five minutes before the show. Should we play like Sellers? Yeah. And I'm always like, the last <laughs> thing I want to do in my life is play a board game. So I always have to be dragged into it, kicking, screaming. And then ten minutes into it, I'm so invested and I'm having the best time of my life. <laughs> but I never learn that I like them, and the next time I just complain again. Yeah. So I board feel games. Bad. Uh, is there an album that uh, spurred your love of music? Oh, I mean, probably something my parents used to play when I was a little kid. The the album that was like the delineation point for me was Kid A. Okay. Before yeah, that, yeah. I listened to like Limp Bizkit and Corn and shit. Because, <laughs> you know, it was 1999 and I was 12. Right. That was uh, the thing. And then I had a friend who liked Radiohead and I he was like, loan me OK Computer. And like, I, I knew Karma Please from Big Chinese Tunes 3 and stuff. And I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then Kid A came out in October 2000. 
and I went to the mall with my HMV stamp card <laughs> and I got it for free. Yeah. And I went home and put it on and I was like, this is everything before this moment is gone. It's obviously we're done <laughs> and we're starting from here. Yeah. And I still like, I still think back to that. I'm like, that's the, that like the opening notes of that record is that's the delineation point. Yeah. Between like who cause music obviously is most of my life and my identity. And I'm just like, that's the moment that me as like a ongoing concern as the human being that I currently am. It started there. It's obviously not actually that simple, but that's what <laughs> I like to think of. Yeah. Uh, if you could get lunch with anybody, chat with them, kind of interview them, uh, who'd you pick? Jeff Tweedy. Who, sir? Jeff Tweedy from Wilco. Uh, he's just yeah, so smart. And he. every time I hear him say anything, I'm like, oh my God, that's what I've been trying to figure out all this time. Yeah. And he does what I do too. So I feel like there's like mundane stuff that I'm not thinking. Like I bet if I was like, man, Jeff, it's just like, there's just this minute of like, hour like five of the drive and i start to feel really tired and cranky and he would have like a brilliant insight on like how to make that good yeah like he's he's like the smartest person i can think of and his knowledge base is exactly mine so I'm like it's, i want all of it uh last the last person i interviewed here actually was uh Clayton Lenthicum from Casey and Clayton oh sick had you a, did the record with them right? yeah, yeah. yeah had a good long talk with nice. them about how he records shit at the loft and how oh. it was really neat when we first I think the statute of limitations has expired on this so let's <laughs> let's see what happens Let, uh, let's just say that this doesn't exist anymore they got wise to it but there used to be to go to America to play music as a Canadian you need to have a work visa and it's really expensive to get a work visa and it's a pain in the ass and so a lot of new bands back in the day used to think I wonder if there's another way to get across the border using like you know maybe a loophole shall we say maybe not an entirely honest approach <laughs> and it's it's you know hypothetically speaking it's possible that some people came up with an idea that was like well you're legally allowed to cross the border without a visa if you're recording uh, particularly if you're doing a like a, a, a showcase demo Gotcha. Which basically, I think, just harkened back to like they probably wrote the law at like the '60s, and they're like, we need something to like allow us to import people to like steal their publishing rights. <laughs> you know, it's probably like Motown made a law, <laughs> and so in theory, under that um, law, you could get someone from a studio in America to write you a little note that was like, "This, I'm a producer of note. Here's my like discography. This band is coming to record a demo with me, and in this hypothetical situation, that would be not true." Gotcha. And so you could say that it possibly someone like me at some point in their life, <laughs> when they first went to America to play gigs, got a note that said they were going to record the loft and was like, can we actually go to the loft though? But that's just like someone, someone. That, yeah. You know, just a crazy sort of, story. Sort of a general ambient, like imagine if. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, Shot my buddy Shay a message today because I told him I was interviewing you. Uh, he's a big Tokyo Police Club fan, so I was Thanks, like, Shay, pitch me a question. Uh, all he sent me is, I'm bad at asking questions, but is Dave Monk the angel he appears to be? Is it yeah. Monks? Is it Monks. It's, it is Monks, plural. I have an S, and then I fucked it up. <laughs> uh, I mean, any. I'm, I'm glad I don't have a plural last name because everyone I know who has one, everyone screws it up. It gets fucked up. Somehow, yeah. or, and people that have like a singular last name that sounds like it could be plural, it somehow ends up that <laughs> way. You know, it's just a toughie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I probably know him too well to call him a pure angel because he's a human <laughs> being to me. But yeah, I I suspect that anyone who um, admires and idolizes Dave would be pleasantly surprised by how real a person he is and how sure. all of the aspects of that are better than they might expect okay. from just a boring old angel. There you go, Shay. 
very last question then. Uh, do you have any uh, kind of like local recommendations, folks in Toronto who are doing like cool stuff that you want to shout out? Yeah, we're doing a couple shows in Ontario next week with a band called Pony. Okay. Um, my friend Sam is like sort of the singer and like she she's the band to a certain degree. Gotcha. Um, and it's just like really good. If you like Charlie Bliss, particularly the first record, it's it's in that mode. Okay. Real and like like the Josie and the Pussycats movie with like like the old Josie and the Pussycats movie that they did. Um, that's why I, I met Sam because she did a cover night oh, okay. of all the songs from that movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's like it's really just like grungy, um, you know, like that sort of the way in the '90s they started like subverting that bubblegum thing and making it like dirty and like Liz Fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like in that mode. And their first record is, I believe, finished. And this isn't why I'm recommending it, but I played keyboards on some of the songs. Oh, cool. Uh, whether that makes the mix or not, we do not know. But I, I certainly played it, and all the songs are amazing. It's like really cool, just like good shit that I think it's the, the kind of thing that people are into lately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have an EP out on, you know, your your local digital streaming platform. Uh, and yeah, Pony. Nice. Cool. Well, that brings us to the end of the interview. Uh, normally we wrap things up by playing a track off of a new release of some kind. So oh, is yeah. there a, something on Cool Car you'd want us to play? Yeah, I'm trying to get like a boys and bands moment happening. Oh, yeah. I feel like it's like, it seems catchy to me. I don't know. It's got like a sort of a swing thing. Yeah, I was playing that one and uh, Emily's Famous for, oh, sick. for my roommate before nice. we came. Emily's both, Famous, uh, I, f- I feel really proud of, but it also has a really long intro and a really long outro. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. But uh, my, my, my friend Emily, I was texting with her last night about the show we played last night. Yeah. She was like, how did it go? And I was like, ah, it was okay. Kind of a small crowd. She's like, did you play Emily's Famous? I was like, yeah. She's like, that was good. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, uh, boys and bands then. Uh, Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk. This was a blast. Yeah, it was real fun. Uh, and uh, here we go. She likes boys and bands. She likes movies that she's already seen. She curls her hair out again. And goes to places that she's already been. She likes books on tape. She shoots on film, barely makes her rent. Always skips her pills. She likes cool guys and tastemakers. It's probably always will, but boys and bands don't ever get your back. Yeah, they beg you to come over, say it helps them to relax. Boys and bands will always let you down. They're jumping in and out of bands, you know they're always out of town. Don't ask me why, you know they're all the same. She likes basement shows And she works the door so she always goes And she drinks for free Cause the boys and the bands got her covered There's a different party every night They got ice and beer and buckets She likes boys and bands But they ain't ever there in the morning Because boys and bands don't ever stick around Yeah, they sing it like they mean it Sure, they worship you for now But girl, they're only in it for the songs Then they figure out the words Feel back their shirts and then they're gone Don't ask them why You know they're all the same Part of their mass 
way to spend the minimum wage And all these nights blur together All these songs sound the same But she likes boys and bands And they usually like her back So yeah Cups and Cakes Presents is produced by Sean Newton. The featured track was played with permission from Girlfriend Material. Undercurrents from Atlantis Jazz Ensemble's album Oceanic Suite is the background music throughout the entire episode. Oceanic Suite is available through Ottawa's Marlowe Records. Find out more at marlowrecords.com. Inside the Artist Studio is one of the many ways the Cups and Cakes Network highlights Canadian music. Visit our website, cupsandcakespod.com, to browse our audio, video, and written content. That's cups, the letter N, cakespod.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>